0: This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Uh, yes, it is that time of the week once again. Time for the Hot Stove Report. Happy as always to have you with us, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. Gary, as always, you have lined up a fantastic show for us this week.
1: I'm really excited about this one. We've got a great show coming. Uh, two of our favorites are going to be here. The Mariners are well represented on this one. Jesse Smith, Joel Furman will be here, and they will break it down as only Mariners can. Now, you're that's- saying Mariners as in NERDS. Mariners. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Thanks for spelling that out. Mariners. <laughs> Uh, that's going to be great. Uh, Sam Carlson is going to be here. We get asked about Sam Carlson all the time. We are going to hear from Sam Carlson directly. So that's going to come up in a few minutes. As we all know, the baseball bash went on for a couple of weeks, and we are going to pick out a couple of our favorite sound bites from that, some of our favorite moments don't think we have audio of you eating relish, (laughs) but we have some good sounds, (laughs) so that'll be pretty great. We have an excellent listener question coming up, which I love for a lot of reasons, so we have that coming up, and... We have the headliner to begin the show, which I'm looking forward to. We
0: have a fantastic headliner, uh, a guy that we hear Jerry and Scott talk about very often this offseason. We look forward to seeing him in a Mariners uniform for a full season in 2021. Kind enough to join us from his home in San Diego. It is Mariners infielder Ty France, who begins the show for us tonight. Ty, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Doing very well, thanks. Hey, before we start diving into baseball and all this other stuff, Big off season for you. We just found out that you are a recently, or at least somewhat recently, engaged man. Congratulations. Tell us all about it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um yeah, we've we've been dating
2: for about almost four years now and uh went on vacation with a couple friends to Anchorage, Alaska and um, you know, decided to pop the question out there. It was it was really cool. Were you nervous? I wasn't until it was like we were pulling up to the spot and I was like, okay, I'm about to get down on my knee. And then, then, it, then it hit me at the adrenaline rush. And um, no, I don't even really remember what I said to her when I asked her. And um, no, it was such a whirlwind of emotions, but no, it was a great experience.
0: Yeah. I do find it funny, although I completely understand it, that someone who deals with adrenaline and nerves for a living <laughs> on one of the greatest stages. Uh, still feels nervous in everyday life, but it is something unlike that you've ever done before, so I completely understand it. Yeah, definitely. Hey, well, we're we're looking forward to you being in a full season with the Mariners after the trade. If I remember, Ty, when you found out that you were being traded from the Padres to the Mariners, were you in the middle of your fantasy football draft? I was,
2: yeah. we were, uh, <clears throat> We had a Sunday day game in Colorado and um that evening we had our team fantasy football draft and about halfway through uh jace had come over and tapped me on the shoulder and said hey uh aj wants to talk to you can you come up to my room and so i had to leave the draft and uh aj called and told me i was headed over
1: seattle did they stop the draft were you an auto draft the rest of the way no i had
2: two other guys on my on my team so they kind of took over
1: and how did how did it turn out
2: for
0: you this season? That is,
2: we actually we missed playoffs by one game, so it was. I I blame being traded. It just kind of brought the whole team team morale down, and um, it wasn't the same after.
0: <laughs> hey, I, I'm I'm curious. I'm always curious for a player who gets traded mid season, especially somebody traded for the first time. This is unventured territory for you. What that is like when you are trying to uproot your personal and professional life, and yet there is not much leeway given for, uh, oh, understanding that uh, you're dealing with life right now. You're dealing with finding a place to live, how to get your stuff from one city to the other. Uh, You have family involved as well. But how you do that during COVID last year in terms of finding a place to live, that must have made it 10 times as challenging. What was that process like for you?
2: Yeah. I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. You know, San Diego has been pretty much home for me, um, since college. So, uh, to have to leave here, was definitely not easy, but, um, you know, I don't want to say thankfully, but it was only a two month season. So there wasn't really much searching we had to do. Um, we just kept our place here in San Diego. And then when I went to Seattle, um, I pretty much just lived in the hotel for the last three weeks of the season. So it wasn't too hard, but now trying to get everything rolling for a full season, it makes it a little tougher.
1: You know, whenever we talk to Jerry or Scott this off season, and when they talk about you, they talk about you getting consistent at bats through the course of the season. And they, you know, they talk about you moving around a little bit, different spots, but the at bats are going to be there. How excited are you about the on the field opportunity you know is coming your way this year?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely am. Um, you know, to finally get that full 162, hopefully this year. And um, just to have that comfort of knowing, you know, this organization wants me and they want me in the lineup every day. You know, it's a, it's a huge boost for me. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to this challenge.
0: Ty France is our guest on the hot stove report. Ty a popular comparison, at least here in Seattle amongst the fan base and maybe even uh, broader than just here in the Northwest when looking at the Mariners is the Padres and where the Padres were, what they've been built into, and obviously one of the most exciting teams in a playoff team last year. And you've been with them during this whole surge, getting to where they are before the trade. I'm curious, as you look at the Mariners now and you see what the Padres have become, is there something, aside from talent, we know the Padres are littered with with talent throughout the lineup and throughout the field, but is there something an intangible that you experienced or felt while with the Padres that you in your time spent with the Mariners, you see, hey, this is either there already with the Mariners or this is something that is beginning to blossom and bud in Seattle.
2: Yeah, no, definitely I, I do see similarities. Um, you know, and I, I think I've said this a few times, um, just being there my short time in Seattle, you know, it doesn't feel like we're far off. Um, we have that good core young group, um, you know, we're just missing a couple pieces that I think will really help take this team to the next level. And, um, we really aren't far off. Um, you know, the Padres, like you said, they've done a great job from, you know, 2015 on, um, to get to where they are now. And, uh, it was pretty cool to experience the growth there. And, you know, like I said, I really don't feel like we're far off here in Seattle.
1: You as a hitter, what do you consider your strengths are? Um, I think for me,
2: I'm just, you know, I, I'm pretty good at putting the bat on the ball. Um, you know, I, I like to, as much as I can, um, you know, do damage. and um, you know, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty good at laying off of good pitchers' pitches and just putting barrel on the ball. and um, you know, it's, Thankfully, it's carried me to where I am now.
1: We have a couple of analytics guys on the show this week, and they are in love with you as a player. They're, they are big <laughs> fans of you. How much do you lean on analytics? How much do you look at that kind of thing uh, as a hitter?
2: I'll be honest with you guys. I'm I'm not a very analytic person. I don't really look into much of that. I'm kind of more old school and just kind of go out there and play the game. Um, I know it's a huge part of, of the new style of baseball, but I feel like there's a lot as a player you can kind of get lost if you're looking at all that stuff. So for me, I try to keep it simple and just go out and play.
0: Yeah, Ty, when we hear Scott Service talk about the profile of a Mariners hitter and what they look for, it starts with swing decisions, right? Are you swinging at the right pitch? And then when you do swing, do you make contact? And then if you make contact, are you doing damage with that? So starting from the beginning of that with swing decisions, essentially what you just referenced, how did you learn to be more decisive than maybe you were in an earlier part in your career, whether it be as a professional or as an amateur, how did that progress for you?
2: Actually, I think it came – uh, a lot last year. Um, you know, last year we had brought Tommy fam over to San Diego and um, what he had learned with the Rays was to be very stubborn with your approach. And um, he came into spring training and he said, and kind of said, Hey guys, this is how things, things are going to be over here. We're going to be stubborn. And, you know, I really took that to heart and um, really tried to implement that in my game. And uh, you know, I, I think it helped me a lot last year.
0: Ty France is our guest on the hot stove report. I love this notion that Tommy Pham shared with you of being stubborn. It does seem, and and Pham is a veteran, a guy who's been around and has really come into his own in recent years. It seems easier to say than to necessarily implement. Mm -hmm. That would seem like something, being able to hit with two strikes seems like something that would be maybe one of the key ingredients to being stubborn at the plate. What is it that makes that hard to do but easy to say?
2: Um, I think as a hitter, you just kind of, you fall into traps and, um, you, a lot of guys think you're only going to get one good pitch to hit. And, you know, the more stubborn you can be, the more likely you are to get more pitches to hit. And I think for us in San Diego, we were okay with, you know, going down Oh two, knowing we were still going to get something to hit. And if we did go down Oh two, it was just a fight. And, um, you know, we kind of just took that mentality and. You know, it, it definitely helped a lot. It, you know, pitchers were out of pitches in the fourth, fifth inning, and you're in their bullpen in the first game instead of the second game. And, it you know, it just it helps throughout the season.
0: When we come back, we've got more with Mariners infielder Ty France. That's straight ahead on the Hot Stove Report.
3: Back to more of the Hot Stove on
0: 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's a swing and a high fly ball. Deep left field. Going back, looking up Rojas, and that one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Ty France with his third home run of the season and his first in a Mariners uniform. And it's now the Diamondbacks four, the Mariners three, and there is number one for Ty France. As a Seattle Mariner. Hot Stoverport rolls along Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, joined once again by Mariner's infielder Ty France. Ty, we we are eager to dig a little bit into life even before pro ball. Uh, As you referenced earlier, you're you're a California guy, San Diego guy. You stayed home to go to school at at San Diego State University. One of our first questions that we, we came up with for you is, Why were you drafted in the 34th round? (laughs) Your your college numbers were, at worst, good. (laughs) What what happened? I I wish
2: I had an answer for you guys. I I really don't know. Um, No, I I had an agent at the time that had told me, you know, going into my junior years, looking anywhere between rounds three and eight, um and clearly that didn't happen and you know i I really don't have an answer for you guys i I don't know the only thing i can maybe link it up to was um after my sophomore year i had labrum surgery um but played a full junior year fully healthy so you know i I really don't know the answer
1: what was it like playing for tony Gwynn at san diego state um you know i mean obviously it was unbelievable but he was real adamant
2: about, you know, walking onto campus day one. And he was not, you know, Tony Gwynn, the great baseball player. He was Coach Gwynn, and, you know, he kind of took that like father figure role for us and said, you know, I'm not here to be a superstar. I'm here to help you be a superstar. So that was one of the cool things that I thought that he did um, that, you know, really helped us as 18 year old, Kids away from home for the first time. And it wasn't even about like all the baseball stuff. He, you know, obviously helped us on the field, but it was the off the field stuff that, you know, hit home for a lot of us.
0: How long did it take, though, Ty, for that star power to <laughs> kind of wear off? I imagine the first time that he met you face to face recruiting you, there was kind of a knock you over with a feather type of moment. That couldn't have dissipated quickly.
2: No, it didn't. But like I said, you know, he did a really good job of making sure like, you know, he, we didn't feel that like starstruck, like feeling over him. Um, you know, he was, he'd be the first one to sit down and talk stories with you all day long. But when it came time for work and being out on that field, it was, you know, very strict coach Quinn. So
1: it's still hard to believe he's not with us. I mean, growing up in the area, you went to San Diego State, you San Diego guy and he passed away while he was your coach. I mean, what did he mean to San Diego? What did he mean to that area? I mean,
2: he's still to this day, you know, a legend here. Um, you know, one of the hardest parts for me um was at the end, middle end of sophomore year, um we had known he was like pretty much done coaching, um, for the rest of that year. But at the end of the year, um, whenever we had asked about him, those, Oh, he was doing better. He's doing good. Um, you know, ho- hopefully he'll come back and coach next year. And then I stayed home that summer and had the surgery uh, on my labrum and woke up to the news that he had passed away. So it was a complete like shock for all of us. And I think I was the only player at the time on campus. Um, so I got a call from coach Martinez and he said, Hey, a couple of news reporters would like to talk to you. Can you come over to the field? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I I walked over to the field and there was probably hundred to 150 TV cameras there. And, um, it was just, I was so caught off guard. And I think that's when it started to feel real. Like he, he was gone. Um, but, you know, his, his legacy lives on um, here in San Diego and at San Diego State. Um, you know, he, he did a great job of, you know, being involved in the community and being involved at the school. And, you know, he's, he's greatly missed, but, you know, we definitely still feel his presence here.
0: Ty, I know it was a while ago at this point, your college years, that is, but was there something uh, that you still carry with you in terms of hitting advice that he gave you during your time, your two years with him?
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he was a different, different breed. Um, You know, he at 52, 53 years old, whatever he was was sitting in the dugout during games. And as soon as the pitcher's hands would break, he'd be able to tell you what pitch was coming. So that's just how good his eyes were and everything. But one thing that like from day one, when you walk on campus, he simplified hitting so much and, You know, as an 18 year old kid, you don't really understand, like, you know, all hitting is, is really just getting in a good position and taking a good swing. Um, And so you, you, you want more from him. That's all you want. You know, you were the greatest hitter of all time. Like, give me more. I need more. But he was really good at just simplifying things and making the game simple.
1: When Edgar Martinez was the hitting coach with the Mariners, there were stories where he'd jump in the cage randomly and he could still do everything that he did when he was a player. Did you ever see Tony Glenn jump in the cage?
2: Yeah, he did that. He did that to us. I believe it was my freshman year. Um, you know, we were struggling as a team. Uh, I think we were hitting like 210 maybe as a team. And he just got fed up with it and hopped in the cage. And Coach Martinez was throwing, throwing batting practice and he said, you know, he'd call out where he was going to hit a you know, double to left center, double to right center, single through the f- five, six hole. And then like the last pitch, he goes, Mark, watch out and hits a you know, sm- smoking line drive right past his head um, and then walks out of the cage and he goes, see, guys, it's not that hard <laughs> and left, left us with that. It was like, oh, all right.
1: You just got to be Tony Gwynn. It's easy. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: We have a few minutes left with Mariners infielder, Ty France, who's kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Ty, we want to dig into your name a mm-hmm. little bit here. We, we're trying to figure out if there are falsified records or there's alternate identification cards out there for you. Obviously, you go by Ty. Uh, Gary did some deep dive research. Gary, what would you find early in college life for Ty? Okay.
1: Tyler, early in your San Diego State career, at least that's what it was listed as. Yeah, so Tyler's my, just
2: my birth name. No one calls me that really but my mom. Um, and when I showed up to San Diego State, for some reason, that's what they put on the, the lineup card. So I just kind of rolled with it until I felt comfortable telling them, like, hey, my name uh, I go by Ty.
0: <laughs> I guess we, we do need to tell Ty that we've never referred to you as this formally on the air, but we do really like the sound. Of T.Y. France. T.Y. France?
2: (laughs) I have so so many names that people call me, I'm
0: just added to the list. Uh, That doesn't sound like a no to me, Gare. I don't know about you. (laughs) That
1: sounds like go with it, guys.
2: (laughs) I'm all for it. If, if, If you guys like it, I'm all for it.
1: I mean, there was a home run call, too, that somebody said, Viva La France on the home run call. Are you... Are you game for having fun with your name, or is it, uh, guys, I've heard everything. You're idiots. Uh,
2: I mean, I'm all for it. I, I've, I have heard a lot. Um, I remember in short season in 2015, um, I was we were on the road. I don't remember what team exactly. Hillsborough Hops, I believe it was. Um, and they gave me a walk-up song, and it was the French national anthem. So yeah, I, I've heard it all. But if you guys can come up with some new material, I'd love to hear it. Ty, have you ever been to France? I haven't. No, that's on the bucket list. Hopefully, uh, this upcoming off season.
0: Oh, really? Like that, this is you and your fiance have, to, have formally talked about this?
2: Yeah, yeah. We want to do like all of Europe and stuff like that. So it's definitely on the uh, on the bucket list.
0: Gary, what do you think uh, the guys at customs will do when they look at Ty's passport?
1: I feel like the whole thing should be sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean. I- there's a perfect tie
0: in. <laughs> I think
2: Air France should give us a free flight.
1: Oh, Air France. This is now this, Ty.
0: I'm t- we're, we're taking that from you. I like Air France. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's very good. Ty, uh, hey, man, it's been great to catch up with you. And we are so looking forward to seeing a full season of Ty France in a Mariners uniform. And we're pumped that you're part of the organization. Thank you for spending so much time with us here tonight.
2: Yeah, of course, guys, anytime. And, you know, definitely looking forward to getting out there this year and hopefully get a full 162 in.
0: That's Mariners infielder Ty France. We're right back with the Hot Stove report. All things Mariners, all off season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill with you here on the Hot Stove Report. We are coming off the two-week Mariners baseball bash. It was a remarkably successful celebration of Mariners baseball, virtually, where we heard from 60 members of the Mariners organization. It was absolutely incredible. We heard from a a lot of active big leaguers for the Mariners and a number of young minor league prospects. One of those guys, Jared Kalnick, took part in a Mariners Virtual media session, and Lauren Smith of the Tacoma News Tribune had this really great question for Jared Kelnick about what it was like facing one of the top pitching prospects in the game, Logan Gilbert, day after day all summer long at the alternate site in Tacoma.
4: You know, it was a lot of fun, uh, just because, like, he's an extreme competitor. Uh, there's no two ways about that, and he actually was my locker neighbor. So um, the benefit of having somebody that is so talented and um, is so educated in the game that after – and he'll he'll tell you too, like after we would um, have our games, him and I would sit down and whether he beat me or I beat him, uh, we would sit down and kind of walk through the at-bat and I would ask him, like, you know, why would you – like did I show you something in like my take um, for you to – uh, throw me a pitch in this count and then he would ask questions to me like you know why were you sitting on that pitch or something like that and it's really uh it was really beneficial considering the fact that logan is extremely talented and smart to pick his brain because um, then it's only going to snowball
0: well that question got a terrific answer from jared kelnick and along those lines part of the mariners baseball bash We had a chance to catch up with none other than Logan Gilbert. So when we talked to Logan that very same day, we wanted to find out Logan's side of the story.
5: Yeah, he nailed it. Uh, Everything he said, it was spot on. Um, I think it was very unique because usually you're facing another team that you know you kind like you don't you don't get the chance to speak to anybody after the game about what just happened. And uh, like he said, we're next to each other in the same locker room. So and of course, um, Jerry, like you know, everybody knows how good he is and what he brings to the game. So. I know that he knows what he's talking about and and what he sees in the box. So naturally I want to get the upper hand in the future when it's somebody else in the box. And I did something that maybe uh, he thought a particular pitch might be coming or he tracked a pitch well or something like that. Um, Maybe I threw one that I, I think I remember he took a slider or something like that. And I just had, I didn't know why he took it. I was, I was like, You should have swung at that. So then naturally, I want to go back in. I'm like, what did you see? What what made it so easy to take that? So we learned a lot from each other, I think.
0: You know, Gary, when I hear these two guys talking about facing each other as many times as they did, and this iron sharpens iron mentality, these are two guys who are seen to be, for good reason, future pillars of the franchise. And to me, it's so cool to think about how their relationship started, or at least some of the early days that were forged in Tacoma.
1: Now, there's no doubt. And I was thinking as I'm listening to this, I was kind of playing it forward in my mind. You know, what if these two guys are like on an all-star team together or something? And we listen back to this audio. This is audio that's going into the vault. We're going to be saving this for a while because I feel like this is going to be something we're going to revisit down the road. And Iron, that's a great way to put it. That is an exact perfect way to put it when you talk about these two guys, I think.
0: Yeah, it it was not ideal, the alternate sites for all the teams around Major League Baseball, but moments like this, you don't get those types of matchups as often as you get them during the course of a regular season, which everyone would have preferred a regular season, obviously, but this was at least maybe a minor silver lining to have uh, Logan Gilbert versus Jared Kelnick, part 32. (laughs)
1: That's right. And when you have a hyper-competitive guy like Kelnick who needs that competitive outlook, it's great to have a guy like Gilbert there to provide that. Hey, one
0: other really fun element of the many fun elements of the Mariners' virtual baseball bash the last couple of weeks was we got to kind of bring the band back together a little bit. We had a new episode of Inside Corner Live, Uh, myself, Marco Gonzalez, and this week our guest was Mariners pitcher Kendall Graveman, who... In our brief interactions with Kendall during the truncated 2020 season, we could tell he was a, a terrific guy with a really good personality and a lot of fun things to talk about. And, man, did we ever find out when we had a chance to sit down on YouTube and talk things over with Kendall Graveman. One of the things I asked Kendall specifically is, what is Marco like on the days that he starts?
6: Man, guys, he comes in, I mean, laser focused. Like, he looks straight through you. You don't even know anybody else in the locker room. Walks in, locker, gets whatever he needs on for the day, and headphones. Like, don't talk to me. And one of the most impressive things I've ever seen is how somebody can stay locked in for, like, six straight hours. Most guys will get locked in an hour before the game. He's three hours before the game, and it works. He doesn't get tired of being locked in it's fifth, sixth inning, and it's the same, like, laser focus as it was five and a half hours earlier. My brain, I can't do it. And (laughs) I'm like, I got to laugh a little bit. I got to talk to somebody. But it just speaks to the volume. Like, it speaks to who he is and how he's able to mentally get in that position. And and we've talked about it before. I can turn the light switch on and off a little bit once his light switch is on for the day, especially the day that he's starting, it's got to stay on. And some guys are like that. Some guys are like myself. But um, to be that intentional and knowing that his homework's done, Hayes in the barn, like it's time to go play, and now I just got to make sure that my mental side of it is right. And when that mental side's right for Marco, he knows it and everyone else knows it. And then you, it's the exact is true when it's not. Um, you grind through some starts, and we'll talk about it afterwards. He's like, man, I just – Mentally, I was a little off today. I just wasn't as locked in as I usually am. And to be able to find that spot over and over and over and consistently do that is one of the toughest things to do in sports. I I tried to do it my whole whole starting career. And out of the bullpen, it's a little different. I got to lock it in for 15 minutes. And as a starter, it gets really difficult. And the guys that can do it are the best. And the guys that can't, that's where you see the inconsistency um so man marco congrats for being able to do it but it's a tough gig i feel like there was like some compliments in
7: there but also like (laughs) you're like man this dude's kind of crazy like i don't know about it but you
6: You would agree you gotta be a little crazy
7: no i uh i agree with you man you have to be a little a little a little off the chain sometimes but uh no i i he's right he's absolutely 100% right and and i don't know where that started for me i think just i've i've had this uh i've had this fire this like intensity inside of me for a long time and i when i get when i it's my turn to pitch like it, it's uncontrollable it, it's out there and the only way i can not hurt my my teammates those around me is i just got to be internal with it and just go light the fire and and i remember this year JP was giving me a hard time because I'm sitting there after the game. I think I went like six or seven innings and, and pitched pitched okay. We won the game. And um, I'm sitting there at my locker. It was a getaway day. I'm sitting there at my locker just like still like backpack, you know, suitcase, and we're getting ready to catch the bus to the plane. And I'm sitting there just like quiet. And JP, I noticed him three lockers down. He's sitting there just looking at me. He's like, you can't get out of it. He's like, you're still those like, He's like, the game's over, man. Like, they, the other team left already. Like, they're gone. Stop. Like, move on, man. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And this was in, like, late September when I was just – you know how I was. I was hot. I was just wanting to push and, and wanting to, to keep going. And I feel like 60 innings wasn't enough. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just what you're going to get, man. But I love that my teammates know. They know me by now. And I guess just – Hope that I'm reliable and consistent, <laughs> I
6: guess. Yeah, you, you should hear some of the positional players. They give the starting pitcher such a hard time. Oh, they're coming in with their headphones. They got to pitch once every five days. We have to do it every day. Oh, don't talk to me. And yeah. Seeger's like the leader of it. So, oh, look, here comes the starting pitcher with his headphones in. Don't talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> they had a fun time with him, it, man. It's, those positional players, if you don't watch out, they'll be talking behind your back.
0: There are so many things about that I enjoy. I don't know if people, even though Kyle Seeger has been with the Mariners forever and is more than a household name and he's going to be a Mariners Hall of Famer, he's one of the greatest Mariners in franchise history. Gary, I don't know if people really know how snarky (laughs) (laughs) Seeger can be and the type of sneaky humor that Kyle has in the clubhouse. We see it sometimes when we're flies on the wall in there. But the idea of Seeger making fun of the starters every day yeah. as they come in with their huge headphones I, was my favorite part of that whole thing.
1: The headphone imagery is perfect because it is right on. Just walking around with a face of stone, big headphones. And it's just the imagery is beautiful. It's so great.
0: It's, it's funny. I, I always do enjoy finding out from starters if they're wired the way that Marco is. where mm-hmm. don't talk to me. I'm in my zone or wired the way of Kindle a little more loose and social gregarious on start days. I thought Kendall brought up a great point that I hadn't really thought of because I've never walked in those shoes is just how difficult the mental exhaustion it would take to be that focused for that duration of time. I mean, that's a, that's a different cat. If you're able to do that, like Marco does.
1: Oh, for sure. I, I always find it very awkward on, you know, like when we take the bus to the ballpark or something and you see the starter that day get on the bus and he, he looks at you and says, hey, you're like, should, <laughs> hey, should I, talk to you? should I talk to you? I mean, you said hi first, so I guess I'll say hi. But I, the it it is true. You never really know what the guy's like on pitching that day. But yeah, cause you're talking about a starter like Marco, like you're locked in for hours, right? From the time you get on the bus, which is hours before the game, doing all your pregame, you know, warming up that whole thing. You're talking hours and hours and hours. I don't have yeah. that kind of mental focus. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I don't think many, many humans do. It's, it's wired a different way, but it's cool to know as Kendall essentially pointed out without saying it, there's more than one ways to get it done, right? I mean, there are guys who've had great success doing it, both forms, both fashions. And there are probably some guys who are in the middle as well. But our thanks to Kendall Graveman and Marco Gonzalez for the Inside Corner live episode, which you can still find on the Mariners' YouTube channel. Hey, the Mariners Community Tour presented by Root Sports is back in 2021 and going virtual with public live streams. Tomorrow at 5 o'clock, you can join Jake Fraley, White Mills, as they pay visit to fans in Central and Eastern Washington. For more information, dates, and times, visit Mariners.com community tour when we come back on the hot stove report we get a chance to catch up with two of our favorite guys from within the front office the mariners a couple of guys from the analytics department jesse smith senior director of analytics joel Furman, recently named director of analytics and a cougar as well these guys love to dive deep into the numbers for what makes these mariners players great and we will talk things over with jesse and joel when we return back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle 710 sports.com and the 710 Seattle sports app welcome back the hot stove report continues Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill and uh, we are very pleased to be joined for a couple of segments by uh, two of our favorite guys within the front office the uh official Mariners of the ballpark. There are many Mariners we, we can't overlook. It's now a full-fledged force of Mariners, but two of the top dogs, Jesse Smith, the Mariners Senior Director of Analytics, and Joel Furman, recently promoted to Director of Analytics. Uh, Jesse, we'll start with you. We haven't talked to you since the turn of the new year, my friend. It's great to see you. Great to be joined by you. Uh, how is your offseason going?
3: Great to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Uh, all things considered, can't complain. Uh, really looking forward to... Getting back into society and uh, getting back to the stadium, watching some games. It's it's been strange to be. Uh, I've been working from home entirely, and it's just been strange to be uh, so so distant from the team. You know, doing doing well. Yeah, there is
0: literally a black cat behind you and <laughs> climbing the curtains. It looks like a near Armageddon in your home right now. So I can understand. You know, the wife
3: says it. It's quarantine. We might as well get cats. And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, next thing you know, there's four in the house.
8: <laughs> I, understand. Now, I was only briefed on uh, Jesse getting one cat. And then we got on a video conference call and I saw four in the shot. Uh, must have been an impulse buy. I don't know.
0: <laughs> are there baseball themed names to the cats, Jesse? Uh,
3: no, the the names are, are a combination of uh classical pianists and star trek characters mostly uh i think i think i've said enough Uh. (laughs) so
0: you're not only a mara nerd but just a nerd in general is where we're we're taking the the real deal oh there's an albino cat there's another one yeah i just spotted a second everyone will keep you posted for the next 25 (laughs) minutes as to what else we see in jesse's background Joel, it's great to see you. First of all, uh, you are, for people who are hearing you for the first time, you're the pride of uh, Kent Lake High School, uh, a proud cougar like Gary. Uh, You're a homegrown guy. And congratulations, man, with the promotion to director of analytics. I mean, you started at the very first steps of the analytic department for the Mariners, and you've climbed your way up. Uh, You are clearly a trusted resource and a valuable one at that for Jerry and his cohort. So congratulations on the promotion, my
8: friend. I appreciate it, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks for, for having us on here. I, uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit before that it, it's funny to think about, I don't, I don't think I met anyone as a kid who was a bigger fan of the Mariners than I was. And so, um, you know, just every day you get to work for, for this team is, um, is pretty special. So I'm excited about it. Now, previously you were kind of the pitching guy with your
0: new role. Is that still your focus or will you be more holistic to the whole analytic department?
8: Yeah, good question. I, I do think I will take more steps towards, you know, we're we're growing as an analytics staff, um, adding some really talented analysts. And so I think I I will take more steps towards kind of global h- helping analysts with things and um prioritizing projects and and thinking about the things that we want to research as a department. Also taking just some steps to thinking more globally about our baseball decisions, you know, where it used to be in-depth pitching analysis, maybe it's more about overall player evaluation at, at all corners of the player pool. Um, Aaron, I see you shedding a tear over there. I just want to let you know I'm still here for our uh, pitch data weekly call. Um, that's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, Joel, the
0: worst decision in Joel's career was giving me his phone number. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome. Well, That's very kind of you. You've, you've been a, a wonderful resource, and I mean that wholeheartedly to, to us in the booth and being able to educate us, so we can educate our listeners. Uh, both of you guys. So the time you're giving us now is just the tip of the iceberg. But I, I speak for Gary and everybody else. It's, it's been a tremendous, tremendous value to us in the booth. When you say, Gary,
1: absolutely. I mean, we, <laughs> we lean on you guys all the time. And we have questions, and I mean, it is it is truly helpful to have people on our phone. We can go to and say, what is really going on right now. And it, I can't, I can't tell you how much both of you have helped me as well. I really appreciate it. So I, I think people understand analytics department and they understand at a surface level what you do, but if you had to describe kind of a day to day, what you do as a department, how would you describe that?
3: I should have a better answer for this, but I'm going to take a crack anyway. There's a few different parts of our job and it, it definitely the balance on the day to day changes with the calendar uh, and the baseball season. But one area is that's kind of always ongoing is, is big picture research projects where we're trying to improve our, our tools for the front office decision makers uh, to give them the best information about sort of looking forward estimates on player talent and how good we expect teams to be uh, our team, opposing teams that's ongoing. That will never stop. That's, that's uh, an arms race of sorts that all teams are pretty vested in at this point. And then uh, depending on where we're at, there's a huge emphasis on player development uh, building out probably more uh, instead rather than predictive tools, descriptive tools to help our coaches understand what's going on and to help them communicate to our players in turn what's going on. And then the third thing would be the in-game strategy stuff, which is primarily focused at the major league level, which is also always ongoing and somewhat fits, somewhat uh, collides with those predictive tools bucket, but is more sensitive to... Sort of the spring training schedule kind of gearing up around them to, to make sure all of our uh, tools and documents are in the best spot.
8: Yeah, I think I think Jesse puts it well. I, I try to think of things in kind of two facets. The first is sort of anything that we can do with data to help our team get better in kind of a immediate sense. So that might be things like on-field strategy or, or player development, uh, assisting coaches with h- how to use data in creative ways, um, or player evaluation and, and roster management. And then the other facet is something that I think we have a lot of fun with, which is just always looking to learn as much about the game as possible globally, um, which is a little bit different than specific to our roster or specific to the team we're playing next or anything like that. But just trying to have kind of a global look at where's the game going and, and what can we learn about it? So I think balancing those two things is the best way I can describe the day to day, but I often fail to answer what part of the year is the busy part? <laughs> Cause I think all of those things kind of happen year round.
3: And if I could, I'll add on one more piece, which is that I think, and I think Joel would agree with this, that perhaps the most fun part of the job is, is how much the day to day can change unpredictably Uh, this time of year in particular, while we're working all those things, and I might wake up with a plan of what my workday is going to be, there's a decent chance that Justin Hollander or Jerry are going to get in touch and ask us to look into some sort of trade concept or, you know, free agent negotiation that's ongoing and just look at it from an analytical lens and put some materials together and present an opinion, which is, you know, kind of the thrill for me.
0: The Mariners thrill. I understand that. I get that wholeheartedly. We're joined by Jesse Smith and Joel Furman from the analytics department for the Mariners. Guys, I think there was a time where there was this real clash, right, between general managers, assistant general managers, and the analytics department. And now we're seeing it where those two are fully cohesive units. Can you describe as Jesse, you you were just kind of alluding to that, The relationship that you have with Jerry and Justin and then your whole department and how if if you want those two sides to be working hand in hand, I mean, you have to be speaking the same language. You have to be believing the same things. Not that you're going to agree on everything. Certainly, that would probably be unhealthy. But these two units have to work cohesively. It seems as though you have two guys at the top and Jerry and Justin who are very fluent in these concepts and ideas and you are as well. And now it's this perfect marriage. How has that, now that so many of you all have been in the same roles or been promoted within for now the last four or five years, how has this relationship begun to blossom even further in terms of just a a teamwork and a synergy?
3: Great question. I'd say that, you know, when any, time someone new comes in uh, I was working under Jack Z before Jerry came in and when when Jerry showed up, you know, it was obvious that he's a really smart person with a really well-rounded perspective on the game. And you can't expect him to to dive in and completely buy into the Mariners tools that, you know, he knows nothing about and hasn't seen over a period of time. And, and we haven't educated him on sort of how they work and, and why they are the way they are. So since that time, I'd say blossom is a good word. You know, I think we're in the best place we've been in terms of we have a, a group of people making decisions that have different perspectives and everyone understands that, that those different lenses are additive and that if we were to just always go with one person's point of view, when the crowdsource was the other direction that we, that we would be worse off. And I think that, you know, more concretely, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, we've influenced Jerry a lot in in how he thinks about the game and vice versa. He's definitely taught us a lot that, you know, our perspective was incomplete in a lot of different ways. And and Jerry just has a lot to offer in that way. And uh, Justin as well.
0: When we come back, we're going to start to dig a little deeper with both Jesse Smith and Joel Furman from the Mariners analytics department. You're listening to the hot stove report on the Alaska airlines, Mariners radio network.